Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. 2022 was a rough year for investors, particularly in the equity and bond markets, but certain segments of the ETF market thrived, outperforming other asset classes. So what does this say about ETFs as an investment vehicle? And what are some ETF trends that advisors and investors should look out for in 2023? Joining us today to discuss where we are now in the market cycle, and for an update on Fidelity's ETF lineup, including the all-in-one ETFs, is Etienne Yangas-Bouchard, ETF strategist. Etienne joins host Brian Borsakowski to unpack the various factors, including low volatility, value, high quality, and more, as we wrap up 2022 and look ahead to 2023. Etienne also shares how he's seeing investors use ETF investments during this year's volatile markets, especially cash alternative ETFs, which have seen approximately $7 billion of flows this year. Today's podcast was recorded on December 16th, 2022. And please note, as this discussion was initially presented as a webcast, there are a few slides referenced. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Etienne, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Brian. Great to be back on. So let's start off with a a bit of a maybe a state of the union of ETFs. It's been actually a pretty good year for ETFs, given all that's gone on. Um, Year to date inflows are at about 28 billion at the end of November. Actually, November was the best month for inflows since March. And assets under management are up over $300 billion for the second year in a row. So how would you characterize the ETF market this year and why has it done so well? That's a, that's a great question. I, I think you hit the nail on the head with regards to the, I guess, resilience, if you will, of the Canadian ETF market and Canadian ETF industry. I mean, it's been a, an industry that's grown at a, such a rapid pace over the past 15 years. I mean, you mentioned above 300 billion in assets. I mean, you know, right around 320 billion. Uh, if we go back to 2008, it was about 20 billion. It's it's really outstanding the growth that we've seen there, not only from an asset standpoint, from a number of you know solutions available to investors from various providers. I think there's more than 40 ETF providers now in Canada. Uh, you know, we've seen new new asset or new sectors, new segments, uh, new types of products come along the road with launches in the crypto space last year. This year, we saw more multi-asset stuff. Uh, we saw thematics enter the space. So, you know, with, with you know more than 20 billion in flows this year, I think it's just been a great success. And uh, it's really been split down the middle almost among uh, fixed income and equities, uh, with bonds being the smaller portion of the, the total industry. So actually on a relative basis, probably had more flows than, than equities when you look, when you think about it that way. So, you know, all in all, it's been a really, really solid year. And there's a bunch of different little tidbits that we can chat about to, to kind of go a bit deeper, but uh, really good year overall. Yeah. And, and I wonder, what does it say about ETFs that they can continue to, you know, engage investors and advisors and keep money flowing in, in such a volatile market like this one? Does it, is it, you know, have you seen people using it in different ways? What, what is the, you know, is, is that comment on, on the market? Yeah, there's, I think there's a lot of, 
various reasons. I'll just name a few that I think are maybe the main drivers. The first of all is just the 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 wide availability of different solutions. Like you can pretty much find an ETF for whatever you're trying to achieve from an investment standpoint, right? You can invest in so many different asset classes, sectors, themes. Um, you know, even this year, one of the main, I think, um, drivers from a flow standpoint has been cash alternative ETFs. So instead of, you know, potentially locking yourself up in a GIC, for example, from a safety perspective, but just to take some risk off on the on the on fixed income side, given the rising rate environment that we were facing, or just to, you know, maybe take some risk off on the equity side also, but you saw like 7 uh, billion in flows approximately in, into cash alternative ETFs, which, you know, now that rates are a bit higher, you can actually get a, an interesting yield. Um, you know, that's just another example of, of product availability. Like that's something that wasn't around five, six years ago. So from, from a product standpoint, that's interesting. The second point is, you know, when, when it's a challenging market, you know, there's volatility, you know, one of the ways that we can win on the margins is reducing fees. Uh, right. And, and I think that's also historically been a driver of flows to the ETF industry. So finding uh, investment solutions that are maybe a bit more cost sensitive, not to say that the ETF vehicle is necessarily cheaper than the fund version. It's just, there's more options that are lower in fees. So I think that that also continues to to, to drive flows. I, I'd say those are the two main ones that I can think off the top of my head. But there's probably a bunch of other reasons also. So um, do you see, uh, you know, are more advisors using I mean, clearly there are they are using ETS, but but how is it sort of evolved in the way that advisors and investors are using them? Like in the US, um, the market is more mature. There's a lot of people who have jumped into ETFs many years ago. Are we still playing catch up there? Or do you find that now um, investors and advisors really understand the value of ETFs and are really trying to incorporate them uh, more in a portfolio? Mm -hmm. It's, well, this is a quite, we could probably do a whole, whole episode just on talking about the different use cases for ETFs, just because once again, if you look at the, the product lineup, there's just so many different things you can use. But, you know, if you think of where most of the assets are, it remains in those kind of core index type solutions where uh, you get broad market exposure. It's kind of a simple way to get to, to invest in markets in general without investing in specific areas of the market. But I think the growth, especially in the US that we've seen over the past couple of years has really been in that thematic space or especially the more concentrated high active share area. And what we mean by high active share is, you know, there's only so many S&P 500 ETFs that you can have in a marketplace for it to, to actually work. Now you're seeing, you know, mandates that are much more focused, that are going to get exposure to a given types of stocks, given types of bonds that are very different from those core benchmarks. So, you know, that can come in the form of active ETFs. So actually have managers, you know, getting more concentrated portfolios, picking stocks that they like, or you can go with, you know, things like smart beta, uh, which is obviously something that we focus a lot on here at Fidelity, which is, you know, we're trying to select stocks from a larger investment universe to give you uh, a chance to, to outperform the market. But then those become satellite positions, right? They're not that core main component of the portfolio. So once again, like historically, ETFs have been used as that core, now you're seeing them being used as satellite positions also, similar to what we found with a lot of our active funds, right? Whereas you have a you know very high growth manager, momentum driven. Well, that's not going to be a 20% allocation in your portfolio. It might be a 5% allocation. That's where the growth's been. And, um, and, and I think that's going to continue as we move forward because of, once again, the saturation on that core stuff. So now, you know, asset managers have to get more creative. Asset managers like Fidelity, you know, we have to get more creative and offer these unique and, and, and maybe a bit more sophisticated solutions to complement what's already out there.
the good part about that is that Canada really has been uh, a place for innovation when it comes to the ETF, not just it, the ETF started in Canada, but we've seen, you know, crypto ETFs, all sorts of different kinds of ETFs come up here. Do you find the same thing? Is Canada structured in a way that we can get creative and innovative in ways that maybe other places can't? I don't know to what extent on a relative basis, you know, what drives this innovation. I think it's maybe a function of, you know, the market participants. So who who are the asset managers that are are in this industry? And obviously, you know, uh, Fidelity now since 2018, we've been part of that and bring innovative solutions to, to, to the marketplace. But like spot crypto ETFs, that's, you know, maybe I think also the regulators is definitely an, a, an advantage, right? Where it seems like, say, the OSC versus the SEC is a bit more lenient on ETF structure. Just because, you know, we, we've seen that this industry actually is held up very well in volatile environments uh, and, and there's just, yeah. So I think it's a combination of, you know, good asset managers, you know, uh, flexible regulators and obviously investors that are interested in these things, right? That you have investors that seemingly are have that, you know, appetite for differentiated solutions. So once again, yeah, many different things. And I, I don't think it's necessarily going to slow down. One of the I guess things that maybe hinders us in Canada is the sheer size of our market. So, you know, if you're launching, say, a very niche ESG ETF focused on waste and water, for example, there's only so many Canadian investors that, you know, it's it's tough for asset managers sometimes to get these things to, to lift off. Whereas, you know, if you're 10 times the size of our market in the US from, from an investment standpoint, ballpark, once again, like it's easier to get flows and to actually have a profitable product right from a product management standpoint so maybe that's one thing that hinders us a little bit but on the flip side you know i think there's been a lot of good successful stories coming out of canada over the past five ten years so let's talk about um, some of the trends we'll look forward now a bit some of the trends in in 2023 and maybe beyond uh, what are some you know you mentioned thematic active what, what are some of the big trends that you're noticing kind of going forward from out, out of 2022 mm-hmm yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, you know, one area that we are really focused on right now is is definitely in the multi-asset space. So multi-asset ETFs, what they are to explain to our audience here is just it's an ETF of ETFs. So, right, it's, it's, it's one ticker that buys 12 or 10 or, you know, m- multiple underlying ETFs for you. So basically creating a basket of ETFs to simplify the asset allocation task where you don't have to go out and buy three, four, you know, uh, stock ETFs and three, four bond ETFs and create your own portfolio. You can buy these one ticket simplified solutions and get very broad exposure to markets. Uh, and offers that, you know, there's systematic rebalancing. There's usually there's also um, uh, risk bands, if you will. So if you're deviating on your neutral mix a little bit, it rebalances, things like that, where that category didn't exist much more than five years ago. So most of the asset managers come, came out with their solutions over the past couple of years with Fidelity. That, that would be in the form of our all-in-one ETFs that came out in 2021. That category is, you know, I'm trying to look at it right now. It's, you know, it's about 16 billion in assets. Uh, but it's growing at you know double digit pace, if you will, for the past couple of years. So I think that's going to continue. I think it's an easy way to simplify the task for advisors and investors once again. And there's going to be more solutions available soon, I'm sure, uh, because it is a growing growing area. And is that for uh, for all in ones? Um, who do you see buying that? Is is it all investors or is something like you know for retirees who you can you know yeah. buy different kinds of uh, conservative versus aggressive that kind of stuff or, or who's buying these? It really is for every type of investor, and and the reason I say that is that just because you're buying multiple ETFs in in a basket, 
it, you can really tilt your risk profile the way that you want it. And that's appropriate for your financial objectives. Uh, if you are, you know, maybe a younger, more uh, you know, risk-taking investor, you've got a longer time horizon ahead of you. Well, maybe you look at a portfolio like our F-Grow or FEQT, which are our growth option and equity option, which hold between 82% to about 97% in, in equities and a small allocation to, to cryptocurrencies and then growth, obviously, a bit of bonds. But then you can go to the complete opposite side. Say you're an investor that's maybe a bit closer to retirement or you've got you know some financial goals that are coming up. It's like you want to buy a house, you want to buy a car, whatever, you, whatever you're saving up for. Well, maybe you do want a bit more fixed income allocation because historically bonds have offered uh, you know better down, downside protection in, in tougher markets, obviously. This year being kind of a tough exception, if you will, just given the fact that correlations have gone pretty high uh, among bonds and equities in that rising rate environment once again. But really just a multitude of options and, you know, just a couple key points I guess I can highlight from, from you know, the way that we build these while we're, while we're talking about them is that it's a very unique approach. So our multi-asset ETFs, the all-in-ones, are very different than what's currently available in markets. Uh, so whether you look at, you know, competitors like BMO, Vanguard, iShares, um, you know, whoever, it's fairly, you know, similar. You're looking at these kind of core passive exposures. Here we're really building out with a factor lens. Like we want to get exposure to the best companies for each different style. So we want like the best low volatility companies, the best value companies, best momentum companies, so that we don't hold 2,000 stocks. We hold maybe 300, 500 stocks, maybe 600. But each one of those has a defined investment thesis. So that's kind of the approach we're taking, and and and, and it's fairly different. And and so far, so good. <laughs> yeah, and you know, speaking of innovation and, and the different approach, I you know I do notice that there's some small allocation to crypto, one to three percent. Can you explain uh, why you chose to incorporate crypto into those portfolios? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and you know, hindsight, you know, if we look at it from you know where we are today, obviously there's a lot of pessimism around the crypto industry. But when you look at you know Bitcoin, for example, which is our allocation in the portfolio, right? It's only Bitcoin, uh, and it's done via our, our ETF, in which Fidelity is the custodian. So from a regulatory standpoint, it's significantly safer than say an exchange. So let's let's get that out there first. Uh, secondly, is you know we have a big digital assets team at Fidelity, and they've done a lot of research on the use, obviously the, the implications of incorporating cryptocurrency notably Bitcoin, inside of a diversified portfolio. And even through these boom and bust cycles that we've seen, say for Bitcoin, so adding between 1% to 3% in a, in a diversified portfolio has actually improved the sharp ratio of that portfolio. So the risk, the added volatility that we are taking on has actually been more than compensated by, by returns when incorporated to a small extent. When we go over 3%, that's usually when, you know, that extra return that you've earned is not actually helping you from a risk standpoint. So that's why the 1% to 3% allocation. And then obviously, you know, you know, it's, it's a technology that continues to evolve. And, and, and we definitely believe that it has a role to play in financial markets as we move forward. To what extent, we don't. And obviously, it's, it's very tough to tell. But it's an allocation that we feel is, is fairly prudent. And with 1% to 3% hasn't hindered our ability to, to add value uh, versus, you know, other, other products out there. Great. And just quickly on just a couple other trends. I mean, what else are you seeing? ESG has been a, a big growing area in the ETF market. Do you think that will continue going forward and any other kind of bigger trends you're seeing? So ESG is a really interesting one. And I think this year was a big test for ESG, right? And, and the reason I say that is, is there's, there's a few of them. So first of all, is there's tons of different ways to approach ESG. And I think once again, this is another topic that we could spend 30 minutes on, but you know, you can do ESG screening, right? Where you're eliminating, say, a, a lot of names that have bad ESG scores provided by third party providers, by intern, you know, Fidelity has their own internal ESG scores. 
That's one way to do it. You can folk, you can be more thematic. So focus, like I said earlier, like waste and water, you can do uh, climate, you know, focus. So focus on the E, you can focus on S, which is social impact governance, right? You can break all of this down to create tons of different products and different investment vehicles. But if you look at the category as a whole, and we'll bring it back to that, it tends to be a little bit tilted towards, you know, sectors that have less environmental impact. So generally underweight energy, underweight uh, materials, things that consume a lot of resources. So, you know, it's it was a tougher year when energy was doing so well from a performance standpoint. So a lot of ESG mandates actually underperformed this year. But what we've seen is that it's extremely sticky. And for advisors on the line, that is probably a very good thing to, to keep in the back of your head is that if an investor of yours is considering ESG and has bought into the idea of aligning their core values with their investment objectives, it's tough to derail from that. They, they, you know, it's something that generally what we found is it's not going to be the point of focus in conversations. So even if your ESG mandate is underperforming the broad benchmark, it's, you know, it's, it's trying to beat, it's not going to get pointed out versus something that is not ESG. And I think that speaks in flows, obviously, which have been uh, you know pretty good this year with about two billion in net new assets. That's about thirty percent increase in total AUM. That's really good. So um, it's been a positive year. I think it just it's going to continue, uh, and you're going to see more and more asset managers come out with with cool solutions in that space. So I definitely keep an eye out if I was an advisor, and rem- remember that it's fairly sticky. Great. Let's let's move on to factors. I mean, that's a big part of what you do and, and what Fidelity does, factor ETFs. I still think a lot of people don't quite understand what that means. Can you just give us an explanation as to what does factor investing really entail? Absolutely. Actually, we, we have a great slide for this. It, just explaining kind of the differences between the three main styles of management, uh, of portfolio management. And I think, you know, the two at the opposite ends of the spectrum, most advisors are very familiar with because they've been around for a long time. But the middle one, which is factor investing or quantitative investing, smart beta investing, there's tons of different ways to call it. Obviously, we call it the fidelity factor. But, you know, to get a better understanding, I think it's important to really just break down what we're doing with the two others, right? So passive, what you're trying to do when you're, you're investing in a passive way is to replicate a given index or benchmark based on market cap. So the only def- you know characteristic that you're considering is the size of the business. So if Apple's the largest company in the US, it's going to be the largest holding in your portfolio. And you go down all the way down to the smallest holding, which is going to be the you know, smallest holding in the benchmark or allocation in the benchmark and then in your portfolio. And you just kind of basically buy based off of size. There's a bit of logic there, right? So you're rewarding companies that have historically done well and they've become big. But you know that tends to uh, limit yourself from an investment standpoint as especially we see change or we see leadership changes. And also, just from a fundamental standpoint, there's not uh, significant proof that that's you know a way to select stocks. Like you, usually, you actually have the opposite, where small caps tend to outperform in the long term. So, anyways, that's passive investing. If we go to active, you know, active funds are you know we, it's much more hands on. You got portfolio managers, you got analysts, you got uh, you know individuals meeting companies, doing fundamental analysis, going through financial statements figuring out what seems is or what they feel is a better investment. And the way that they create what they what we call active share is by either eliminating stocks from the benchmark, overweighting companies, underweighting companies to dissociate yourself from that benchmark. Like you want to be as different almost from the passive stuff to ideally outperform in the long term. 
And then if we go to factor investing, it's really a hybrid approach. And it, obviously, it's a Venn diagram. You know, we, we understand <laughs> that's basically what it's telling us. But what we're trying to do is say, what do our active managers look at when they select stocks? What metrics are important? What characteristics have shown in the past that if you, you know, if you select stocks based on profitability, on valuation, on uh, momentum, earnings momentum, so if they're continually beating their expectations, does that drive performance in the long term, but then executing it in a systematic way in order to reduce fees to a certain extent. So the idea is there's tons of these different traits that we can look at to potentially add value over time. And historically, we've seen that over very long periods of time. If we look at slide two very quickly, Brian, I know I'm ranting here, but I think it's worth taking the, the extra time. Um, if we go to slide two, we can see that in long, and if you look at a full market cycle or even more than that, multiple cycles, like this is going back more than 35 years. If you buy stocks based on valuations, so looking at free cash flow yields, price to earnings, price to books, you've on an average uh, annualized basis, added about 2.6%. If you look at momentum, 2.2%. Income, which is dividend focuses, 1.9%. Quality, 1.7%. And you go down the list to see these, these annualized average excess returns based on these different factor approaches. So it's shown in the past of work. And given the systematic framework, we, we expect them to do that over, once again, longer periods of time. Talk, talk to us about, I mean, this year we have it's been up and down. Um, how do different factors perform in different market environments and cycles with inflation, interest, all that, all that stuff? What do you what do you see? Yeah, there's a there's a lot to break down. Every cycle is different. You know, every late cycle is also different. You know, every early cycle is different, every recessionary period is different. But generally speaking, factors, albeit over once again, 20, 25, 30 year periods, have shown to add value it doesn't necessarily mean that they work at all times. And I often get asked, you know, oh, what's your uh, best factor ETF? Well, that truly depends on where we are in the business cycle. And it also depends on what you're currently doing in your portfolios. So remember that because you're getting concentrated exposures, if you're already buying, say, growth stocks, you have a growth manager, well, maybe don't focus on, you know, a factor like quality as much, which focuses on profitability and return on investment. Maybe value would be a good complement to what you want. So there's tons of different ways to approach that. But nonetheless, um, you know, I think this year, just to recap what we saw in 2022, was really a transition from the mid to late cycle, uh, where we had positive growth to start the year, but then started to show signs of moderating. And it was actually a very good year for value stocks, given the fact that uh, when you have a rising rate environment, you know, stocks that are more have more equity duration, if you will, or that are more sensitive are the growth segments of the market because you're pricing in cash flows well into the future. So when your inherent discount rate goes up, those values come down. So when you have companies that are trading at a discount and especially we're tilted towards the cyclical side of the market, like energy, uh, like materials, financials to a certain extent, that did a little bit, that did better to start the year. But more recently, now we move from the mid to late transition that now we feel we're more in the late to recession uh, transition. And not to say that, you know, we're necessarily going to be in a recession, uh, you know, in the next six months or eight months or 12 months, it's very hard to tell. But, you know, we're definitely heading for some type of growth contraction, uh, you know, or, or, or more, more than likely heading for a growth contraction sometimes uh, in, in the future. So it's more 
time to focus on factors that are more that that have better downside capture focus on lower volatility companies so quality and low vol tend to do really well in that area uh, and it also has to do with earnings variability so going into next year there is a lot of questions around where earnings are going to come in for various uh, various regions uh, where profit margins are going to go because of the impact from inflation that we've seen over the past 12 months you know that's that's lagged like we haven't seen the full effect on on margins at you know retailers for example with retail sales coming down you know they paid a lot to acquire goods and now they have to liquidate them at lower costs that impacts margins and you're going to see that uh, manifest itself next year so focus on profitability focus on low volatility uh that's something that we're looking a lot at right now as we head into the potential slowdown how should advisors build portfolios with factors is, is it being more tactical moving in and out as cycles change can you own you know all of them in different increments what advice would you have for advisors to actually incorporate these in a portfolio yeah just buy the all-in-ones no i'm just kidding uh the all-in-ones combine 12 different factors but that's the that's the simple approach right where you get exposure to each of those different factors you want to capture that two percent in the long term right or like average about two percent alpha over the long term but that's not necessarily the case for everyone. That's the kind of simple approach, but I think it, there's two ways to do it. And it really depends on the way that you run your business as an advisor, or you know, if you're obviously an investor, you know, the, the, if you're trying to fig, piece out your, your portfolio, if you wanna be tactical with it, it's a lot of work. Uh, because as we saw, as we go through the cycle, you're gonna get strong leadership changes. So value did really well over the past 18, 24 months. The two years before it did absolutely nothing for, for you, right? So it's important to understand that it will go in and out of favor and to be prepared to take gains when you've had some and then, you know, rebalance the factors that may be underperformed and vice versa. And you kind of roll through that. But that's very time consuming, very challenging. One approach that we really like is pairing like maybe two factors that are very complementary, like quality and value or, um, um, you know, momentum and value also is a good example. Momentum dividend. Uh, that's another approach where you get more consistent returns. Give yourself a good shot about performing the long term. And then the last approach is using them as complements. Right. So if you, you know, look at your your portfolios, you know, you say uh, you're an advisor that picks their own, you know, Canadian stocks. Uh, you've got maybe a lot of dividend payers. You've got a couple growth companies in the U.S. Maybe you use a few. Uh, you use a Nasdaq ETF. Well, maybe then you add a quality ETF in Canada and then a value ETF in the U.S. so that you get a more diversified mix to those markets. And important to last comment I'll make on that is it's important to remember that not every passive index is built the same. So if you're buying the S&P TSX and you're building the or, and you're buying the S&P 500, those are two very different markets. Uh, and I, I, I'm sure almost, you know, everybody knows that here that like the sector allocations are very different. But from a style standpoint too, like Canada tends to be more of a value cyclical market, whereas the US tends to be a more quality growth tilted uh, market because of the because of the sector allocations also. But um, so that's ways to, to pair them. Right. And like there, uh, there's nothing wrong with taking the easier way out. So maybe just describing the all in ones, if the factors are being incorporated into that, how does that change? Um, you know, is, uh, is the Fidelity's team looking at that and making those allocation decisions depending on on the macro environment? Actually, so it's just, it's, it's just more of a strategic approach. So what we've decided and, and this is also has to do with how we want to control fees and offer something that's competitive on pricing. But, uh, you know, is going to give you those those core factor exposures over time. And what we've decided to do is provide an equal weight approach and let them drift throughout the year. So we we rebalance once a year and we start the year with an equal allocation to value, momentum, quality and low vol. 
And then given where, you know, what leads during the year, we kind of let that go, let the momentum of each given factor progress. And then we rebalance at the end of the year to start fresh. And the reason why we've done that is actually it's a it's one of the ways that we can maximize the sharp ratio. Uh, so over time, not making the calls actually helps us. So it goes to show just how hard it is to continually time where we are in the market. So it provides us with a like if when you combine the four factors, you actually get a lower standard deviation than if you buy just low vol alone because of the diversification effect. So that's the rationale uh, behind that, but it is more strategic in nature. Right. Um, I just got, you know, uh, the ETF market's growing, lots of different trends happening. I just got to ask, like, what's it like being an ETF strategist uh, <laughs> these days? It, it sounds pretty exciting. It is exciting, um, you know, and we're, it's an industry that's growing. Fidelity, you know, especially here at Fidelity, this is something that's like, uh, it's almost like a new endeavor that we only started, you know, three, four years ago. So everything is is continually changing and we're looking to innovate and uh, provide insights to, to advisors and investors. And I think a lot of this year has been that, right, is to be there by your side, to provide insights, help you relay that information to investors. Uh, and we want to continue to do that as we go forward. But it's been a, I think I've done more than 400 advisor meetings this year. Uh, so it's been a really good year and it's been a really productive one. Uh, but it's fun to be an ETF strategist. I'm, a, I'm, I'm fairly lucky. <laughs> and and I also understand that, uh, you know, we can't let this finish out with a plug in the podcast. So, so you have a podcast about ETFs, both in French and English. Maybe tell tell people listening in a little bit more about what that's what that's about. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, thanks for thanks for the for the shout out there. Yeah, it's uh, it's called the Fidelity ETF Exchange. Uh, it's available via Fidelity Connect. So if you're already subscribed to that for uh, you know for these recordings, for example, or others, uh, it's it's part of that. And you know what we do is we just try to break down the ETF industry. It's great, you know, information on market making, on you know factor investing, on uh, trends. We're talking about we talk about bonds. I bring I you know I just recorded one yesterday actually with one of our colleagues who's director of capital markets here at Fidelity. A big you know very strong background in fixed income. So we you know broke that all down and chewed it up. And uh, we'll do a range of topics and I bring on guests from from the firm and then also externally also to try and provide information to advisors and investors. Awesome. Um, I'm going to leave it there. Uh, it's certainly exciting things to come for the ETF space in 2023 and uh, and beyond. So thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Brian. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. And while visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.